Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to True North Church. How are we feeling this morning? Doing good. Hope you all had an amazing Christmas. My name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, just also want to uh, say welcome to everyone who is joining us online as well. But I feel like I have a word in me that is very relevant and timely, especially for this time of the year. Can you believe that this Sunday, today, is the last Sunday of 2020? Come on, come on. And, and not only that, but obviously after that, next Sunday is going to be uh, the first Sunday of a brand new year, 2021. All right? Some of you are excited for 2021. Some of you are like, oh boy, what's coming next year, right? And I feel like that is kind of this thing with this year. You've, 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 seen, you've seen two ideas here. Either for, for you, the year has flown by quickly, or this year, you would say, man, this year has dragged by so slowly. It has simply just limped on. There has been, you know, things in my life. But what I would say is for most people, they would describe 2020 as a year that is very tiring, very exhausting and restless, even though, or despite the fact that for most people, you've you've actually had more, maybe time off, maybe downtime, a little bit more free time, whether it's by choice or, you know, you were laid off or your business had to close. But for whatever the reason, Despite the fact that you may have had more time to feel rested, the exact opposite has happened. Yes? You feel restless. And I I feel like the reason for that is there's been this kind of constant tension, this constant, you know, maybe um, level of stress that feels like a weight or a burden that you had to carry all year. And anyone here who has ever hiked or you've ever, you know, went for a long walk with, with your kids and you've had to carry either a pack or you've had to carry your kid's coat because at some point they take it off and you have to carry it. Yeah. Um, after a while, it just it begins to feel like, oh, man, this extra, even if it's a little bit of weight, that extra weight, that extra burden makes you so much more tired. And I feel like that is what has happened for so many people and even Christians over this entire year. There's been this constant tension, whether it's tension with your finances, tension with figuring out childcare, care, uh, tensions with your, your health. Uh, tensions in p- politics that then spill over into your relationships with your family and friends and these heated arguments and de- debates and online uh, comments and, and e- everything. It begins to weigh on your mind. It can cause you to stay up at night and not get good sleep. Maybe you feel maybe a little bit more hopeless or even apathetic towards things that used to excite you. You used to to be so excited for that one TV show or that one hobby or going to a certain place. And now the things that used to excite you and motivate you, they kind of just leave you feeling maybe a little apathetic. For many people now, more than ever, they feel sick and tired and in search 
of rest. And actually, the, the search for peace and rest is a billion-dollar business. There's tons of books written on it. There's lots of, of, of apps now. You know, you can listen to this. You can meditate. It'll help you fall asleep. It'll help bring peace into your life. There's drugs. There's, you know, different types of pharmaceutical sleep aids and types of tea and seminars and strategies and techniques, all things designed to help you feel rested. And that's really what I, I want to focus on in the short time that we have here is the topic of rest. Looking at rest from a biblical perspective. Because the truth is, we're resting wrong. As a society, as a people, as a nation, we're resting wrong. We have the wrong mindset. We don't know what it really is to rest we don't know how to rest. We don't even see the value in rest because for a lot of us, we think, well, resting is just lazy. I could be out building my business. I could be out helping people. I could be out doing all of these good things and building my life. But resting, somehow we don't see the value in having a, a, a well-rested spirit. And that's what I want to to talk about. I'm not talking about taking power naps. I'm not talking about physical rest. I'm actually talking about something much more important, and that is spiritual rest. And this rest is not about being lazy. In fact, it's the opposite. It's about having a refreshed and renewed spirit that is prepared for whatever comes next. Because if you're not rested in your spirit, you're not prepared for what comes next. And I believe now, more than ever, Christians, especially followers of Christ, we need to be, as Scripture says, we need to be sober, we need to be alert, and we need to be prepared for what comes next. And there's, there's something in the spirit of someone who is spiritually well-rested, right? You can, even just being around them, you can feel this energy. There's, uh, they're, they're more positive. They're optimistic about what the future holds. They're looking forward to it. They're, they're hopeful. They have a good, positive outlook on life. They carry themselves with boldness. They actually even look forward to the next project, right? They're like, man, bring it on. Come on, we can, we can build this. Uh, they, they look forward to, to being a part of a big dream and a big vision. Whereas someone who is not spiritually well-rested goes, oh man, another building project, another issue with my kids. Oh man, my wife's pregnant. Yeah, here. Uh, we're, we're expecting our seventh. Uh, yeah, come on. So, so if, if anyone should feel not well-rested Anyways, um, <laughs> so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, well, why don't you turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Yes, I said Leviticus. It's the book of the Bible that if you're starting a uh, uh, New Year's resolution to read the Bible through in a year, it's probably the one where you're going to fail on. Genesis, you'll, you'll do fine. Exodus, you'll do fine. You'll hit Leviticus, and it'll be a struggle. 
you'll, <laughs> you'll have to push through. But there's actually a lot of very good things found in Leviticus. So why don't you turn to Leviticus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. Let's re read this. It says, The Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai. So this is after the, you know, the whole exodus out of Egypt. And they go and they receive the Ten Commandments. And the law gets handed down from God to Moses. And this is one of the things that the Lord specifically says to him. It says this, the Lord said to Moses at Mount Sinai, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you enter the land, I am going to give you the promised land. The land itself, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, sow your fields and for six years, prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But, it says, in the seventh year, the land is to have a year of Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. Do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of your untended vines. The land is to have a year of of rest. So basically, what God is saying here is God tells his people, work hard, do everything you're supposed to, do everything that is expected of you for six years. Then, on the seventh year, you're going to allow the land to rest and recuperate during that seventh year. It was called a Sabbath year or a Shemitah year. Okay? And if you did your job right for the first six years, you wouldn't have to work for the seventh year. The land would still produce food. You wouldn't starve that seventh year. You would actually reap the harvest of everything you did for the previous six years. And actually, this is a, a very scientific um, outlook on land management as well. It was actually the overworking of the land that led to the great dust bowls during the depression, right? They, were, they overworked the land. They didn't allow the land to rest. They didn't understand about crop rotation and allowing the, the minerals in the earth to, to allow themselves time to replenish uh, themselves. In, in the same way, this principle of the Sabbath, it was also given to God's people as well. God commanded his people to set aside one day a week for rest and recuperation. And if you did that, then this one day of correct rest and renewal, it'll actually make the next six days abundant, okay? So not only would the six previous days be abundant, but if you knew how to rest and set aside the first and the best for God, God would actually bless and there would be abundance in the following six days as well. And then this cycle would repeat itself over and over. And this actually comes from where God establishes the Sabbath, the Sabbat, in Genesis. After six days of creation, it says on the seventh day, God rested. Now, even just looking at that logically, we would say, wait, God rested. This doesn't mean that God was tired, or God was out of breath, or God was exhausted, 
That, that goes against the nature of God. God is God. He's all-powerful. He doesn't need to take breaks. He chooses to for a very specific reason. The word here, when it says that God stopped, it actually means God ceased what he was doing before. He intentionally stops, but not just to stop. He stops so that he can see. He stops so that he can survey everything that he had done, everything that he had been a part of, and that he could see. Because right after that, it says that then God saw that it was good. If you don't stop, you can't see. He stopped and he saw what had been done. And because he could stop and he could see what had been accomplished and what he was a part of, he appreciated everything and he saw it for what it truly was. Now, this is a very simple principle, right? Stop, cease, so you can see, so you can appreciate, so you can be well-rested spiritually. But it's very difficult for us. It's very difficult for most people. We never stop. Therefore, we never see. Therefore, we never appreciate. Why? Because we just keep going. We go, go, go with busyness, with urgent things. Our mind doesn't stop. Even when we're sleeping, even when we're supposed to be on break, when, even when we're supposed to be just relaxing, our mind keeps going until... And this is what has been happening a lot, especially this year, because that, that busyness, that go, 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 that, that thoughts keep going in your, your head, it leads to a crash, some sort of a crash, some sort of a physical crash, a mental crash, an emotional crash, a relational crash, a spiritual crash. Essentially, it leads to a spiritual dust bowl. Because life, as we were created, life is about rhythms and seasons. It's about knowing when to go, 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 and knowing when to pull back. Knowing when to mourn. Knowing when to be glad. Uh, Solomon talks about this in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Knowing the seasons and the rhythms of life. And this happens all the time that we don't recognize the seasons and we just we think we are not human and we just go 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 and that results in a crash of some kind. It results even if it's not uh, um, a full stop, it results in just an increase of anxiety, of fear of what if of sickness right even even that constant tension not being spiritually well rested it lowers physically your immune system it leads to hopelessness it leads to depression and apathy it actually leads us to a place of being much more prone to spiritual backsliding as well, succumbing to the temptations that we normally would go, no, 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 no. All of a sudden now we're in a weakened place where we say yes to things that we should say no to. Even simple things like tension, just being restless, being apathetic, or even ungrateful about and not appreciating what you have, these all stem from not being able to rest correctly. 
Let's continue on. Leviticus 25, verse 8. Then it continues on, and, and the Lord gives Moses these instructions as, as well. He says, count off seven Sabbath years. Seven times seven years. So those of you who are good at math, <laughs> uh, you, you know that's 49 years, right? Okay, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 40, the answer was right there. Well, to a period of 49 years, then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, sound the trumpet throughout your land. Consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. So after seven Sabbath years, after 49 years, on the 50th year, that will be known as the year of jubilee. We used to sing this song. I don't know where it came from, but it it talked about the year of jubilee when the lame shall walk, when the blind shall see when the Lord sets his captives free. This is the year of jubilee. And any debt on that year, the debt would be forgiven. The the land would be returned to its original owners. Slaves would be set free in the year of jubilee. It, It even rhymes. And then it actually says there that we are to, quote, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Now, you may have heard that phrase somewhere else. Most people don't know this, but that that phrase, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, is actually found in Leviticus 25.10. We we just read it, but it's actually also what is inscribed on the liberty bell across the river. At least I think that's the original, right? Who knows where, where it actually is. Not that many p- people know that that phrase, that inscription, is, is, uh, it comes from Leviticus. But something changed now. So we've been talking about the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Something changed. Something actually got better as we move into the New Testament. The Sabbath, this idea or the principle of the Sabbath, it progressed. It became something better. It didn't stop. Okay, let's re- re- read this. This is found in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It says, there remains then a Sabbath, right? So the Sabbath didn't end. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of, of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his Verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter into that rest. So let us see that rest, the rest that God provides as valuable as something that we should move towards, right? So the Sabbath remained. The principle of the Sabbath is still true in our lives today, but it's different, it points to something else. And we can uh, r- read this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These things... 
These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So our Sabbath now, today, here, it's not what it used to be. It's no longer about observing a day. It's about observing a person. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our source of rest. It is where we find rest in Christ. It's also where we find peace, where we find joy, where we find hope. There's a lot of different counterfeit or temporary sources of rest in our world, but they will never last. They're always temporary. And for many people in our world, they are seeking peace, they are seeking rest in all the wrong places. They're not looking to where the source of it actually comes from. Even Christians, even people in this room, we do this all the time. We actually revert back to an Old Testament view of, of this, okay? Um, We're living like we're in the Old Testament in that we're trying to work and earn what God provides and gives to us. In the Old Testament, God's people, they had to follow laws. They had to bring certain offerings. They had to to, uh, bring certain sacrifices. And if they did everything right, then they were acceptable in God's eyes. But we, we don't have to do those things anymore because when we're in Christ, God looks at us and he sees us as people who have fulfilled all of that. Everything that needed to be done was done and has been done if we are in Christ. But we still try to do those things today. We try to earn our peace, to earn our rest. Maybe if I just worked a little harder. Maybe if I tried a little, a little harder. Maybe if I, if I earned a little bit more or have my status was, was changed, then... Then I would have peace. Then I would have rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest because there's no more works that we can do to earn it. It's all been done in Christ. Placing your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus, it will overflow in abundance in every other area of your life. Just like observing the Sabbath day led to an abundance in the other six days of the week, in the same way when we prioritize Jesus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, and we place Jesus on the throne of our life, that overflows into every other area of our life. Everything that we are searching for and not finding, we can find and have when we put Jesus First, all these other things, as Scripture says, will be added to you. Things that you wanted, things that you were looking for, but you needed to stop looking for those and fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus taught this Sabbath principle himself to his disciples over and over. Not only teaching it through his words, but he modeled it for them and in turn for us as well. 
And Jesus even, even got frustrated when Pharisees continually tried to make the Sabbath about rules and laws. They were constantly trying to take spiritual things and trying to turn them into physical things. And Jesus would always do the opposite. He would say, no, 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 this is not just a physical thing about rules. This is a spiritual principle. And that's why uh, Jesus declared in Matthew 12, 8, he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, basically meaning he's the author. He gets to determine what it is and what it means. And there's 20 different occasions in the gospel where it says that Jesus intentionally withdrew, either by himself or with a few. He withdrew to, to speak to and to hear from his father. He, he withdrew to realign himself, to, to rest, but also to prepare for what would come next. And he taught this to his disciples as well because Jesus knew, obviously, he knew the future and he knew that his people, his disciples, they were going to face opposition, they were going to face hatred, division, persecution, every single problem known to man, they were going to face that. And Jesus knew, man, if they're going to be successful in this, they're going to have to be a spiritually well-rested people people. And so he taught this over and over and over. And it says here in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, it says, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, and this is what he said, he said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. The disciples were so busy because of the demands of their life, because of the demands of ministry, because of the demands of church, the demands of other people and urgent things in their life. They were neglecting to eat. They were neglecting to take care of themselves. They were neglecting to be alone and to rest and to simply be with Jesus. They actually, even though they were doing good things, they weren't putting Jesus first. They had actually replaced what was best with something that was good. And I think that's something that we are all guilty of, right? It's easy to replace something bad with something good, but often it's very hard to replace something that we view as good. Our spouse, our kids, our work, our life, our hobbies, all of these good things that we do, often we place them on the throne in our life when the, on that throne should be Jesus. And when Jesus is there, then everything else can realign itself the way that it was supposed to be. And Jesus recognized this, and so he intentionally stops them, right? Even though what they were doing was good, they were neglecting the truly important things to attend to the urgent things, the things that were yelling and calling out to them. And Jesus stops them intentionally, and he says these four things. He says, number one, come with me, all right? Follow me. Get your eyes off of what you're doing right now. Set your eyes on me and make sure you stop. Stop doing 
intentionally stop doing what it is that you're doing right now and come with me. The second thing he says is, come with me by yourselves. Don't bring work with you. Put your phones away. Turn off the news. Stop the drama. He says, by yourselves. Don't bring all that extra stuff. Come with me. Fix your eyes on me by yourselves. Number three, he says, to a quiet place. Proximity matters. He wanted us to be closer to him. Come to where I am, Jesus says, right? Step outside of the box where you are. Step somewhere where you can have a good vantage point and you can see everything that you've been a part of, okay? And when you see, when you stop then you can see, then you can appreciate everything that you have, everything that you've been blessed with, and, and where that blessing has come from, right? It's, this is the same principle that we see in Genesis 1. God stopped, he saw, and he saw that it was good. He was able to observe everything that he was a part of. And then number four, Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That is the place where we can be, where we can actually get spiritual rest. It's with Jesus and seeing him for who he truly is, not just as an act, not just as a religious duty, not just as, you know, part of a religious routine where we check the boxes off. It's not about religion. This is about a relationship that we can have with Jesus. And I just want to close with this one thought. Uh, you can't worry and worship at the same time. You can't. It's, it's simply in the nature of what those two things are. See, when we worry, when we're anxious and we have fear about something, whatever that thing is, and I'm sure you know in your life what that thing is that keeps popping up. It's impossible to align our minds to both because worry is basically elevating whatever that thing is onto the throne of our life. We're elevating that thing to a vantage point where the, even if we stop, even if we step away, that's all we see. That's all we worry about. That's the only thing that races through our minds. But what worship is, is worship is choosing to move that thing aside and to place Jesus on the throne of our life. Knowing that before, when Jesus was not on the throne, that thing that's on the throne, that's something that I have to, in my own strength, in my own focus and whatever it is that, that I have, the, the limited things that I have, I have to solve that. I have to fix that. But when we, when we worship, when we raise our hands in surrender, we are surrendering even that thing to Jesus. We're saying, Jesus, take, take it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, every part of my life, everything, I place you on the throne of my life. There's something so restful about just saying, I can't do it. I can't fix this. But I know someone who can, right? It's, a, it's the idea of, uh, of you've been, you know, I'm getting off here a little, little bit. But if you have a, uh, 
let's say there's a, a, a leak in your house, all right? And there's water spraying all over, and you tried to fix it over and over, but you're, you're making it worse. And then you call someone who's an expert who comes in and goes, oh, man, here's, here's your problem. And what you had been trying for days and days or hours and hours to fix, someone else could do easily. Now, take that example times a 1,000. Every issue and problem in your life is an issue and a problem in your life because you're trying to solve it in your own strength. And Jesus said, hey, look, in this life there will be trouble, but take heart, worship me, place me on the throne where I belong because I have overcome the world. I have overcome that thing that keeps you up at night. I have overcome that thing that causes you not to be able to sleep and rest and relax. And as we close 21, or as we close 2020 and we move into 2021, a lot of people have many resolutions. You have a checklist of things that you want to do this year. Maybe this year, though, is a year that you need to rethink that list because often that's a list of everything that I can do in my own power. If I just try harder, if I just focus more, if I just do better and get better, I can accomplish everything on this list. Maybe this year we write a list of everything we can't do and we just put at the top of that list Make Jesus the Lord of my life in everything. Maybe this year is the year where we let our own dreams, our own plans, our own goals, our to-do lists, everything that we are, are fearful of, maybe we just let it die. And instead, we let this year be a year of biblical rest, of putting Christ first, fixing our eyes on him, intentionally stopping what we're doing so that we can step away, so that we can survey, so that we can appreciate, so that we can live with gratitude in our, in our hearts. Maybe this year, we stop trying to fix our own life, stop trying to fix ourselves, because we realize we are the problem and the problem can't fix the problem, right? All right, all, all, ac all across this room with every head bowed, every, every eyes closed, we never finish off a service without giving people an opportunity to get right with Jesus. Maybe today that's you. Maybe you, you know Man, this, this year, my, my mind, my heart, it's been off. I've been trying to fix myself. I've been trying to fix my own problems. Maybe today is the day that, that God is, is telling you, he is impressing on your heart that you need to get right with him and that you need to place him on the throne of your life. That you need to give him the first and the best of everything. Romans 5.8 says, At the perfect time, while you were still sinners, while we were still screw-ups, Christ died for you. He gave his life for you so that you can have Sabbath rest, so that you can have eternal security. And Romans 10.9 says, If we believe in our heart and if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And Romans 10.13 says, Everyone 
who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes every single person in this room. If you call on the name of the Lord, if you believe in your heart, and if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So if you would, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just repeat this prayer after me. Just say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I give my life to you. From this day forward, I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate everyone who made that decision. Come on, church, why don't you stand on your feet? Hey, if that was you, you made that decision uh, to say yes to Jesus. That is the greatest decision you could ever make. Uh, we are so excited for you. We got people out in the foyer. They're going to be waving this Bible around. We got people at Next Steps that would love to connect with you, answer your questions. You can't do this life alone. So you got to make sure that you tell somebody. Well, what a great word that was. You can't worry and worship. You encourage church? Church, we love you. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next week. Be blessed.